Hi, I'm Phil from Shop Notes Magazine, and this is the Shop Notes Podcast. It's episode number 158. John and I are going to be taking the reins on a special summer edition of the podcast, and we're giving a shout out to what's his name. You know who you are. And uh, we'll be talking about learning and teaching, uh, having shop visitors, the concept of persistence. And don't forget to stick around for this week's free plan as well. Thanks for joining us. Let's go. I like that. Shout, uh, shout out to what's his name. And then that could be really to anybody. Ready. Yeah. And then, then they're like, oh, wow, they gave me a shout out. Thanks. That's cool. <laughs> they're really caring people over at the Shop Notes yeah. podcast. I knew they remember me. So. Uh, we had a visitor earlier this week into the shop uh chris hathaway fan of the show uh stopped in and it's always fun to have people around here it's uh he was i wasn't here that day but he was genuinely enthusiastic about being able to see behind the scenes mm-hmm. yeah he uh they watched the podcast and the facebook live and so they've seen different parts of our office and studio and shop and and different things so now that they've been here they can kind of lay it out in their minds the the goings on here and kind of see behind the scenes so yeah. yeah it's always cool to share that right so if you are interested in visiting and touring uh the woodsmith and shop notes global headquarters uh, you can feel free to do that. We would love to have you and show you around. Uh, what's unusual about Woodsmith and Shop Notes is that we're, we do it all here. We have a full staff of designers and illustrators, and we do all of our own photography. We have the projects built in the shop. We do our own videos and stuff, and it's all remarkably contained into one building now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see kind of the goings on because where I am, if you're watching this on the radio on YouTube is I'm sitting at my, I guess I would call it my office, but it's a quad pack of cubicles that I share with John and Becky and Logan kind of in this area. And where I'm facing is our video and TV studio. So, uh, it's all right here. It's Yeah, we don't want to forget that the pop popular woodworking headquarters is right there too. It's basically right, right. over your left shoulder is Logan's right cubicle. Yeah. And that's the the entirety of the headquarters. Yeah. The world headquarters <laughs> of popular woodworking. Popular woodworking. Yeah. Yeah. They rent space from us. Yeah. So they crash on our couch, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually have a futon here, so yeah. maybe we just do like a like spend the night at Woodsmith kind of thing. There you go. Summer camp. Right. <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> Craft time, four hours today, guys. Yeah. Buckle so if up. you come if you come for a visit, uh just because of people working from home and our different schedules, it's always best if you shoot us an email to let us know when you plan on attending so that we know that we can have somebody here. Um uh, there's a handful of us that are here all the time. John and I among among those. 
um, but still just knowing when to look out for people. Uh, and when you're here, you'll be able to look for little Easter eggs, like, you know, like finding out like what's going on behind me or mm -hmm. what's the deal with that chili pepper thing going on over John's shoulder. And where is yeah. that? Right. Who knows? Yeah. It's a scavenger hunt. Yeah, it is. So. Yeah. I knew Chris was coming around 10 and I was looking for him and I still didn't hear him knocking at the door. So apparently he was, he went and uh, rapped at the window of customer service and they let him in. So yes, right. give us a heads up. So we know we're coming. We need to get a doorbell or something. Maybe get a, a ring well, doorbell. That'd be cool. So that'd be fun. But, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, especially since we don't, we haven't been able to restart the, you know, the Woodsmith workshop live events that we or a live event that we did a few years ago mm -hmm. in the before times you know we're trying to figure out ways of how we can get folk to come see what we do because it's pretty cool we have pretty creative group of people that do an amazing variety of things here like for example we're getting ready for one of our woodsmith live seminars so Becky is scurrying around transforming the video set into a seminar studio. Uh, Dylan's putting the fin final finishing touches on his presentation. And, mm -hmm. and as soon as we're done here, John's got a, is going to help out with the seminar and finish designing projects that need to get turned into plans so that Steve yeah. and Mark can turn them into actual projects. And That's right. Trying to keep everybody happy. Yep. Some days it feels like we're in the very middle of a complex domino project that gets that's getting put together. Mm -hmm. And we're at the point where we can't touch any of the dominoes yet. We right. have to wait. Yep. Because you don't want to prematurely tip over or start tipping over dominoes. Yeah, that's bad. Very bad. So anyway, last week in the shop, we had a guest for the TV show, Shar Miller King, mm -hmm. uh, which was cool because unlike other people, she actually showed up to be a special guest. <laughs> That's the requirement for being a guest, basically, on the Woodsmith <laughs> shop, is if you show up, you're in. You're our favorite. Yeah. Yeah. You're the best. Yeah. So. Shout out to what's his name. Yeah. You know who we're talking about. <laughs> Could be anybody. Yeah. What was interesting having Shar in is that she has a very strong uh, passion for teaching woodworking. Mm -hmm. She's involved in a couple of groups uh, in the Atlanta area and has done quite a few things with kids, getting kids involved in woodworking. And it made me think about you know, like f fundamentally I view with both Woodsmith and shop notes as being educational in their nature. So I was wondering for you, John, like what were some of the early woodworking lessons that you learned that have stuck with you? Hmm. Um, don't mess with my dad's tools. <laughs> and leave them out in the rain or in the treehouse. Um, it's funny because uh, I remember making a, like a playhouse treehouse type thing with my dad when like I'm my kids' ages now. 
and you guys make fun of me because I use way too many screws and projects. <laughs> and so we were like working like nights, weekends, whatever, working on this. And I would just be bored during the day. So I would just go drive screws or nails into like, because that was a fun thing to do. So it was just like way too many screws and nails. So maybe I picked that up. As maybe that's where that is. Thing. Yeah. yeah. This is I therapy don't know that, here. That's I don't know I, that we make fun of you as it's awe. I think is right. what you're maybe confusing that with. Yes, that's true. Like, yeah. how does he do it? Yeah. So. Yeah. But. So that's, I guess, some stuff I can remember early on. Okay. But. What about like when you started here at Woodsmith? I mean, because you mm-hmm. had some, because you had worked in a cabinet shop before mm-hmm. coming here, but obviously working here is very different from working in a commercial yes. cabinet shop. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like when I started here, like I knew what I was doing, but then it was very intimidating being around everyone. Cause then it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, so it's like very like, yeah, just intimidating of like the guys in the shop watching you or looking at me. So they're probably not <laughs> caring anything I'm doing, but it's like, right. and, and yeah, so just being around all of the woodworkers we've had here and most of them have been here 10, 15, 20 years at that point. And, um, it's just a, a good resource of learning from different people and how other people do things as far as building techniques and design and, and that kind of thing. I think where it really took off for me is when I started on the TV show, uh, season two. So would have been 15 years ago, I guess. Yeah. We'll say. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of forced at that point because we're building projects from the magazine that were, you know, had been built for the magazine. So designed and built by other people. So I was forced to, at that point, build things the way other people designed it. Because I think starting out, you know, you're, you do the things that you're comfortable with. Sure. So I like design around joinery I'm comfortable with or, you know, build projects the way I'm comfortable with. But that forced me to do it the way other people have done it. So, Mm. you know, you're doing different joinery techniques or building different jigs or, you know, using different tools, maybe outside of my wheelhouse, I guess. Okay. So just 15 years of that. I guess of building projects from plans that other people have designed and um you know building with other people it's kind of where i probably learned the most i guess yeah at least picked up the the learning curve that way so no i can see that because you're really forced to kind of get into somebody else's head Mm -hmm. as to why they're doing something both like why they're doing a particular operation on its own and where that operation fits in the process. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about this with Shar too, where it was, you know, there's been plenty of times when we're in the middle of shooting a show and you get to a step and it's like, why are we doing it here this way now? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So then we change it up on the fly because we're in a hurry, do something different. And then like three steps down the line, it, the light bulb goes off. Oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So yeah, it, we're still learning. We're not there yet. It's a journey. <laughs> it is. It is a journey. I yeah. think that's kind of the fun part of it is is figuring that out. But then also, you know, one of the things for me was I really wanted when I started here. I knew that I knew some woodworking, but it wasn't until I was in the shop a few times where I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know about woodworking mm -hmm. and that there was a lot of it. And I would go down there and work on my own projects or just practice techniques or something like that. And there were times when I wanted help from other people. And then there were plenty of times where I just kind of wanted to be invisible, just doing it myself. Like mm -hmm. I just got to figure it out and it's got to struggle. It's going to look terrible from the outside, but, mm -hmm. you know, trying to balance that having somebody help you or looking over your shoulder versus just fighting it out. Right. And it, it was always tough too when like just being intimidated in the shop because it was always busy. It was always full. There's always people working. It's like right. I just want to come in at night and just <laughs> work without anybody watching me. And yeah, because the biggest fear is like I'd be pick up a tool to do something. And, like they'd be like, "What are you doing?" Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What am I doing? <laughs> you tell me. Right. And the funny part is, like you said, it was always busy, and so clearly people had work to do down there but it felt like every time you stopped and turned around there was always somebody like watching you just like right. that's how you do that huh yeah but on the other hand there were some lifelong woodworkers in there that would do things particularly on a, maybe a table saw that <laughs> i would never do and would never wish anyone to do and it worked right. for them as far as I know, but right, it's just like mm, I question that. Yeah. So. Oh no, that's definitely true. That you would see different techniques, alternate modes of construction, and things yeah. like that that may or may not be yeah. recommendable. Like, may, like even I know better than that, <laughs> and I don't know much better about anything. So, yeah. So that's true. There is definitely that too. Having being in a shop where there are so many different woodworkers, being able to see both how they do things and then learning a little bit why. Mm -hmm. I also got to the point for a while where you just kind of roll with it. Of you're in a fishbowl of woodworking, and just start asking questions. Mm -hmm. or asking for advice, even if you're kind of in a place where you don't really want to or care to know what the answer is. Yeah. Just kind of forcing yourself to, to learn that way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for the most part, everybody is in the shop. is very helpful and oh yeah, willing to answer questions and go into great, you know, extents, extensive answers on, on things and even show you and, so, right. Yeah. It's nice. But. Yeah. And then I, you know, you picked up, there were different people in the shop that had different experiences or different levels of expertise. You know, I think of like 
Kent Welsh, I feel like I learned more about finishing from mm-hmm. than anybody else. Yeah. Just because he was very invested in that process, no matter what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing. Like, he would, like, particularly finishing, would do things that I would never even think of. Like, you know, push the boundaries of different types of paints and finishes and yeah. stuff. So, yeah. So there's, yeah, many people that have a wealth of knowledge on things that it's just like, I wouldn't even think to search for this and, and, <laughs> and you get exposed to it daily here. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's the other thing you were saying, Char being here last week and teaching kids. I, since I have kids, I mean, that's my thing. Uh, my daughter, my nine year old, almost 10 year old came in and worked with Char and it's always interesting working with kids or beginners cause they ask questions that you never think of and you're like, Oh, and then you kind of explain, you know, why you do things. And it's like, yeah, I never thought of it that way. And, um, so you're also kind of learning or relearning things about woodworking that you probably haven't thought of in a while. Oh yeah. Working with beginners. So. Yeah, things that have turned second nature on it. And yeah. What was interesting is Char asked really good questions about teaching because she was asking us about how we teach people woodworking things. And it's it's almost like teaching your kids how to drive where it's just mm-hmm. all this stuff that you do sort of reflexively or that you've just kind of trained yourself into doing and now having to stop, like you said, and think about, now, why is it that I do that way? Or how would I talk about things? Yeah. Yeah. Very much like riding a bike. It's like, how do you teach someone to ride a bike? It's just like, just balance and pedal and go. Like, yeah. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, y'all, we all learned, but. Right. Yeah. So some of it's just getting out and doing it. But yeah, there is a lot of like questions that we don't think about and then kind of reflect on that and answer them and learn with them. So yeah. And I was really impressed with my daughter, Millie. She was way more interested in it than I've probably given her credit at home. Cause usually when I'm doing things, it's like, I just want to get it done. And it's like, get out of my way and you know, stay out of, you know, where it's like, Oh, maybe I should slow down and, um, kind of nurture their interests when they, they're in the shop and we build some, build some projects that she wants to build. So yeah, might do that in the future. I also wonder if there's a difference, um, that it was a different adult right. doing it. And there's, you're not preloaded with the, the parent, child, right. Dad, daughter, father, son kind of thing Yeah, that can make a teaching environment a little bit more fraught. Yeah. Yeah. I found that anytime I've had to volunteer for, you know, teaching my kids or coaching my kids, it's usually that they're the least receptive on being taught by a parent or, but if it came from anyone else, you know, that's great knowledge, but yeah, very, you know, more with parents. It seems like they're kind of put up the walls. Right. Well, and that's like, we like 
pre-push our buttons to like I know exactly what my kid's going to do to drive me crazy. Right. And the kid is the same way too, you know. So mm-hmm. Yep. It's an interesting journey. It is. I've also discovered that there's a certain level of persistence required in learning woodworking. Like you just have to fight your way through something. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was thinking of two examples. One recently that I had talked about was we've always shown in Woodsmith the mortising technique of drilling out a mortise at the drill press and then cleaning it up with a chisel. And I just never understood why that was a thing because to mm-hmm. me it was always, to me that was like the best way of saying, how can I create random sized mortises? <laughs> and then it was, you know, I just, had to do it a bunch of times to mm-hmm. figure it out. And then it was, then I kind of figured out a way that made sense to me and helped me understand the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Coming from an engineering background and, uh, doing all the design work in a computer where everything's perfect and uniform and easy. Fits. <laughs> it, that was, uh, yeah, very like hard thing to learn as far as, being more free flow, I guess. It's like, how do I make everything repeatable and exact? And so it's like, gotta make, use power tools with exact bits and jigs and all that thing. And then you kind of learn as you go that it's not going to be perfect no matter how much you try and just how to, to deal with that, I guess. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah, so that I guess that leading into another thing that I kind of learned being exposed to everyone here. I was very much like everything power tool before I was here and working with other people in the shop. And then I think I learned more about hand tools and how they can kind of complement power tools, I guess. Because it was okay. like, oh, this this is an eighth inch off. I've got to use some a power sander or something to get it. It was like... Not, I guess not an eighth inch off, but it's like, I don't have to use a palm sander. I can use a scraper or a hand plane or, you know, that kind of thing where it's instead of taking a half hour of sanding, you can right. do a couple, you know, passes with a hand tool and get it close and then sand. And so just being exposed to, yeah, more techniques, more tools, all those things. So a lot of things that I probably would not have gone out and bought myself and we just have as a tool library here that I get to try things out on has been a learning process as well. Yeah. So. I think all that to say is like, get involved in some woodworking classes where mm-hmm. you can learn something from somebody else who maybe does it a different way. And I, I try to want to get that across in the magazine, you know, like our fully knowing that, all the woodworkers aren't here in the woodsmith shop or have the ability that we do to learn from all the people in the shop experientially, you know, how do we reflect that in the magazine and how we describe how a project gets put together or a specific technique and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hope like people that read the magazine aren't confused because we'll show from one, project in the same issue or 
from issue to issue different ways to do the same thing. And we're more doing it to give you options, I guess, than say, because we, I don't know, you could come in and say, this is the only way to make a mortise and we show it right. that way every single time. And I don't, that would get kind of boring and you wouldn't maybe learn much, or maybe that just doesn't work with the tools that you have at home. So yeah, I don't know, we try to just show it different ways and one way might not be better than another, or maybe one way is better for you and your shop and you can just go with that. And so, yeah. yeah, you know, that's something that I've noticed with, since Mark Hopkins has been here, our English woodworker is how, when he approaches a particular project, he has a very, not very, he uses a router to do a lot of things that in the past, like Steve and well, both Steve Johnson and Steve Curtis before him would have tried to do at the table saw, you know, that there was, there was a very table saw centric mindset on doing things. Mm -hmm. And Mark does a lot of stuff with a router in terms of creating one-off patterns or jigs or something like that in order to accomplish a specific goal in putting together a project, which is pretty impressive to me. Yeah. I feel like I was kind of the same way starting out. I, uh, I had a router. One, I think a router was one of my first kind of woodworking power tools before I had a table saw. I had like a chop saw on a router and learned yeah. all kinds of things to do with the router, make joinery or cut out circles and yeah, all kinds of or mortise and mortise and tenons and all kinds yeah. of things you can do. No, that's definitely true. Cause I remember watching you doing that in preparing props in between scenes for the TV show, um, that you would, think of something and I immediately thought, well, I just need to do blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, you know, you're grabbing a couple of pieces of plywood and double-sided tape and put a flush trim bit in a yep. router and bam, there it is. Yep. It's like, oh yeah, I guess you could do it that way too. And yeah. dang, that looks really nice. Good yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember starting out like uh double-sided, it took me a long time to trust double-sided tape, like <laughs> double-sided tape and clamps. Cause it's like, this tape's yeah. not going to hold, like it's yeah. totally going to move or come off. And right now, and then it went from that to like, I've got to use a whole roll of double-sided tape to hold this down. And then it's like, <laughs> well now that's too much. And then, so it's now like two little squares and right. Trust that. Yeah. And then now it's two um, track saws that are just like kind of held down by friction. That's or my, magic or yeah, whatever. That's my next trust thing. It's like, I don't really trust this, but I'm going to do it and it works. So, yeah. But, so. No, that's definitely. Speaking of routers, uh, mm -hmm. last podcast, I was talking about finally moving on from my trying to come up with a, a router based slot mortising machine. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris had come up with one a few years ago for the magazine that I really liked, except for the fact that it was pretty big for what I would need in my shop. So I was trying to come up with a smaller, simpler version and fought with it for a couple of years. And I eventually 
as I talked about last time, just gave up on that idea and then did the mashup of several mortising jigs that we've done in the magazines, primarily in shop notes, and came up with a few ideas. So one of the things that I've learned in different router jigs that I've made is uh, using guide bushings to control the movement of a router. And I have a, I've come to favor like a one inch diameter guide bushing just because it makes the math a little bit easier in terms of calculating mm -hmm. offsets. Uh, so rather than plowing some kind of a channel in the top of the router jig, like we've shown to match the base plate of a specific router, I just have a one inch slot for the guide bushing, which for me simplified the construction of it. But then also I was using with a one inch guide bushing. That means it doesn't matter what router I'm using at the time. So if I'm doing small mortises, small width mortises, I can just put the guide bushing in my little palm router with a plunge base. And there I go, I'm ready to go. For larger ones, I can use my bigger 690 router with a plunge base on it. And it's the guide bushing that's taking care of it. So mm -hmm. simplified it that way, added some T-track to the front face to control where pieces are gonna go. I'll put a bunch of photos of this on our show notes page at shopnotes.com slash podcast. You'll be able to see uh, photos of what mine looked like. And then I painted it because having some stuff painted in your shop and adding a little color is nice to break up all the tans and browns going on. Yep. I can, I, I like the nice gray laminate, my favorite color. So true. That it makes it pop. Right. North sea gray. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, one thing, another bit of old business from the last podcast is uh, you were supposed to be on that podcast, mm -hmm. but you weren't. I wasn't. Yeah. Had a drain emergency and I right. did survive. So <laughs> I think that's how like uh, my parents listen to the podcast. And I think that's the, like, hey, what they called me like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> they mentioned you in the podcast. So. No, I just had the basement drain back up for some odd reason and, you know, had Roto-Rooter come out and couldn't find a cause to it. And it was like we were trying to get the drain off and he just poked his screwdriver down into the drain and just went and emptied. And it's like, okay, well, that solved that. So I don't, it might have been like the equivalent of calling an electrician to your house and they're like, oh, it's this GFI switch. Click. Click. Yeah. Fixed it. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see if that ever happens again or what the cause was or yeah, one of the kids flushed something down the toilet and it temporarily clogged it and backed up. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, we had gotten a bunch of rain around in that time too. So yeah. I had thought it was maybe storm water. That's what I thought too. It was like we related. just had a big rain that morning and I don't know. Everything else seemed clear and I don't know. It's odd. Yeah, one of those, one of those house things. But yeah, not being in that house that long, it was a good chance to like find where the sump pump was and the clean out and all that stuff. And now I know, right? So I'm ready. I'm ready for the next one. 
<laughs> Bring it on. Are you ready, though? No. Probably no. not. Yeah. yeah. So. so have you found, like, all the places in your house where it's, what's this wall switch do? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I remember the first time, like, uh, the all the smoke detectors are connected in the house, and they were all going off for some odd reason. It's like finding where the breakers are and that kind of thing. Cause like in our, my old house, I lived there 18 years. I redone every single thing. I knew where everything was and understood everything. And just being in a different house, it's like, what does the switch do? There is, some, there is like one switch that I don't know what it does yet. I'm thinking it's an outlet switch to something, but I haven't gone to the trouble of testing it. So that'd be the next, the next project, I guess. Yeah, going around and plugging things in, testing the switch, and so. Now you guys didn't build that house, but it's a relatively newer house. Do you have? And this is what something I found in newer houses. It seems like there's a couple of walls in the house where there's like four switches in a row. Mm -hmm. Do you have that? And it's like, what's yes. that one? What's that one? What's yeah, that one? Because it's it's kind of a <laughs> an open <laughs> concept <laughs> on the main floor. So yeah, it's very much like knowing which switch goes to like what light or fan and it's like remembering <laughs> the order and but there is still a lot of like hitting the different switches to get the what light you want on or off or so it's hard to remember yeah so or yeah and like i was telling you uh our, we were having problems with our refrigerator and looking at refrigerators versus and then like talking about counter depth fridges or full depth and like, I don't know, it's fine. And then I look and it's, there's the fridge like cutout is set back. So that means there's like a 12 inch behind the rest of the cabinets on that wall. There'd be like a 12 inch gap in the walls somewhere because the wall behind it is flat. It's like, mm -hmm. now I've got to investigate that. And <laughs> what's in this? Do you like, might have a secret compartment little house archaeology or something yeah maybe that's where the ark of the covenant is or maybe the holy grail mm -hmm. got to cut a hole in the wall now yep so or it's some kind of like edgar Allan poe like cask of amontillado there's yeah. somebody kind of walled up in there yeah because that was the other thing moving into a house that's not that old it's like the old house is like i was cutting out walls and taking out drywall and it's like who cares and now it's like oh i can't touch anything i can't <laughs> like this is all new and but now getting to the point, it's like, I don't care. I'll, I'll cut a hole in the drywall. Yeah. You can always patch drywall. That's not a big deal. You can always paint it. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Just make it your own. Yep. All right. The free plan for this episode is related to our, an upcoming TV show that we're TV show episode that we're doing with Shar Miller King. It's a set of stacking bookcases that was in Popular Woodworking magazine. Yes, there are times when we feel that Popular Woodworking has contributed quality projects. This is one of them. And uh, stacking bookcases are part of their "I Can Do That" series with that use relatively simple techniques in joinery and materials in order to build good-looking projects. And that's a pretty cool series that they've had for a, quite a number of years. And this one was modeled after 
a set of bookshelves that were in the same issue um, modeled after the ones found in Thomas Jefferson's Monticello estate but this in a simpler style. So we're going to show how to do that on the TV show and several different joinery configurations. Uh, but you can find the plans uh, on our YouTube channel where you can watch the podcast as well as on the show notes page that you'll find at shopnotes.com slash podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, we want to hear about them or any other fun stories of learning about woodworking or discovering and uncovering the mysteries of your own home. Like John did. You can leave those in the comment section or shoot us an email woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye.